has to be a reason. Doesn't there? There, there has to be a reason. In fact, oftentimes we tell folks, there's a reason for everything. God has a purpose in this. God has a reason for this. And so there has to be a reason, doesn't there? In fact, we know that's the case because science tells us that for every effect, there has to be a cause. That's the law of cause and effect. So there has to be a, a reason. But many times we look for a reason kind of like a bad mechanic, don't we? Uh, have you ever had a bad mechanic? You take your car somewhere and it's making some kind of noise. It's, it's vibrating some strange way and you take it to the mechanic and, and you say it's making this kind of sound and it's, the car's jiggling this way and the mechanic says, oh, I know what that is. You need a new muffler. So you get a new muffler. But then a couple weeks later, the problem is still not solved. You have to take the car back. And he says, oh, you know what? It wasn't the muffler. It was, it was this over here. Still doesn't fix the car, so you have to go back. And, and he says, oh, you know what? It wasn't this and it wasn't that. It must be this. This has to be it. And by the time you get out of there, you've spent hundreds of dollars, perhaps even thousands of dollars. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Sometimes we're the bad mechanic. Because in our minds we think and we tell ourselves there has to be a reason. And yet we may misdiagnose that reason. Last week we saw that Job was grappling with his suffering. And as he grappled with his suffering, he said, It would be better that I would have been stillborn than to face the suffering and the pain that I'm going through now. And Job's friends came on the scene and they just sat with Job. And that part was good. But as Job continues to face the suffering, he wants to know why. And after Job makes his statement about it would be better for me just to have still been stillborn, his friends begin to want to help him by finding the reason why. But they were bad mechanics as they misdiagnosed the situation. They not only failed to make Job feel better, but they made his suffering worse. This morning I want us to think about the reasoning of Job's friends and Job himself and trying to find why I am suffering. And I want us, as we look at that, to think about how we can be led astray by our reasoning, by our finding blame, for why we suffer. As we look in the book of Job, we find that in this next section, Job's going to have a conversation with his friends. And, and there's going to be three stages or three cycles of this conversation with Job and his three friends. His friend Eliphaz is, is going to make a statement. Job's going to respond to it. And then Beldad is going to make a statement. And then Zophar is going to make a statement. And each time, Job responds to that. This morning, consider the first round of conversation and look what Eliphaz does. Eliphaz is that first bad mechanic and then he says, Job, there must be a reason for your suffering and that reason is the doctrine of retribution. He doesn't call it the doctrine of retribution, but that's what we call Eliphaz's reasoning. It was a common line of reason in antiquity. 
Notice Job chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Eliphaz the Timonite answered, If one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? But who can refrain from speaking? Behold, you have admonished many. You have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand. And you have strengthened feeble knees. But now it has come to you. And you are impatient. It touches you and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember now, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I've seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of His anger they come to an end. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey, and whelps, and the whelps of the lioness are scattered. Eliphaz says, Job, the reason you're suffering is something that ought to be familiar to you. Because, Job, over the years, you've helped tons of people. And you've advised them. You have taught them. But, Job, now it has come around to you. And you should know, Job, that nobody suffers except because of their wrongdoing. Bad things don't happen to good people, Job. Bad things happen to people because of their sin. And Job, you know that. Because as you look around you, Job, and as you and I have lived, Job, Eliphaz says, we have seen this to be the case. People suffer because of their sin. That's what Eliphaz is saying. And yet Eliphaz says, Job, we know that generally speaking, no one can stand before God. Because no one is pure before God. Eliphaz says, Job, I want, you to t I want to tell you about a vision that I've had. Notice verse 12. And now a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received a whisper of it, amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when the deep sleep falls on men. And Eliphaz says, I was dreaming, and in this dream, someone spoke to me. And this is what the voice said, verse 17. Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Eliphaz says, Job, we all have sin. And Job, the reality is that you and I know that none of us can truly stand before God and be just before God. So, in other words, Job, you ought to know that there's sin in your life. And the reason you're suffering, Job, is because of the sins that you have done. Because you have harvested, you have reaped in iniquity, you have sown iniquity, and now you are harvesting the results of that iniquity. That's why you're suffering, Job. And, and Eliphaz said, Job, if I were you, what I would do is I would repent. I would, I would ask God to forgive me. Notice what he says, chapter 5, verses 8 and 11. But as for me, I would seek God. I would place my cause before God, who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without no number. 
He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields, so that He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He tells Job, Job, if you want to escape the iniquity, what you need to do is what I would do if I were in your shoes, Job, and I would repent to God. And I would ask God to forgive me. I would humble myself because God lifts up the humble. And so, Job, this is what you need to do. But he goes one step further. He says, Job, you know that God disciplines when we sin, and we ought to respond to that discipline. Notice verse 17. Behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he inflicts pain and gives relief. He wounds, and his hands also heal. Job, God is disciplining you, and you need to understand that God disciplines you because of your wrongdoing. And so, Job, if you will listen to that discipline, if you will receive it like a son receives it from his father, then God's going to heal you. You may suffer for a moment, but God's going to restore you. And so Eliphaz paints this picture of the doctrine of retribution. We suffer because of our sins, and we need to turn to God. And Eliphaz closes by saying, Job, this is something we all know, but Job, this is something I can know because of empirical evidence. Notice verse 27. Behold this, we have investigated it, and so it is. Hear it and know for yourself. Job, we know this to be the case because we have looked into it. We have investigated it. We have found it to be the case. People suffer because of their sins. And you need to repent, Job, and receive that discipline that God's given you so that you can live. And this is what Eliphaz is saying to Job. And really this prompts Job on a quest to defend himself and to argue with God about his innocence. Because this is something that was a common belief in antiquity. It's still a common belief today that the only reason you suffer is because of bad things in your life. And so Job's scratching his, ha his head thinking, what have I done to deserve this? Notice how Job responds to Eliphaz, chapter 6, verse 1. Oh, that my grief were actually weighed and laid in the balances together with my calamity, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the seas. Therefore, my words have been rash. I believe Job's talking tongue-in-cheek when he says, my words have been rash. He says, look, Eliphaz, look at what's happened to me. I've lost all my children. I've lost all of my servants. I've lost all of my wealth. And now my body is plagued with sores. My, my, I'm diseased. I'm deformed. If you take all of those things that have happened to me, Eliphaz, and you put them on the scale, you would find out that what's happened to me, I can't measure it. It outweighs my sin. It's not right. What is happening to me? If we suffer because of our sin, look how badly I'm suffering. My sin isn't that great. Job is going to begin building on this idea by suggesting that the suffering he's facing is greater 
than his sin. And he begins to blame God for what he's suffering. Look at verse 4. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. Their poison my spirit drinks. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Job identifies the source of his suffering as coming from God. God is doing this to me. But why is God doing this to me? Why won't God let me die and find relief from my anguish? Look at verse 8, chapter 6. Oh, that my request might come to pass, the request he made in chapter 3. And that God would grant my longing. Would that God were willing to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. Job says, I wish that God would just let me die. At least then I would have relief from the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that I'm facing. And yet even as he says that, he says, my hope and faith are still in God, verse 10. But it is still my consolation. And I rejoice in unsparing pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Even though I'm in immense pain and I don't understand what's happening to me, I can still trust in God. I still look to God. I still follow God. I'm not going to deny God. And remember, that's what Satan is after. Satan is after Job. And, and as we saw in the first couple of chapters, Job, or Satan tells God, the only reason Job's faithful to you is because you protect him. You put a hedge around him. Everything that's happening to Job is happening to him because Satan is trying to test his integrity. You and I know it because the narrator told us in Job 1 and 2. But Job doesn't know it. He simply knows that he's suffering. And he's trying to figure out why. Is it really the case that we suffer because of sin? Job says, then why am I suffering this way? Job chastises Eliphaz for blaming him. And he says, you're a lousy comforter, Job. Look at verse 14, chapter 6, verse 14. For the despairing man there should be kindness from his friend, so that he does not forsake the fear of the Almighty. My brothers have acted deceitfully like a wadi, like torrents of wadis which vanish. A wadi is a riverbed that is filled with water only during the rainy season or only when the snowpack melts. And then it's like a great flood. But during the summer months, and think about Palestine and how hot it is over there. During the summer months, it becomes a dry riverbed. And Job is saying, my friends ought to be some, those that I ought to be able to go to for comfort and, and consolation. And I've gone there, and what i found isn't the water, isn't the refreshment that I need. Instead, it's the dry, wasted land. Because instead of you comforting me, you are piling up my anguish by saying I'm suffering because I've done something wrong. Because I've sinned. And Job says, you provide me with no comfort whatsoever. You are lousy friends. And so Job turns his face away from Eliphaz and begins addressing God, seeking to know why God is doing this to him. Look at chapter 7, verse 11. Now therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the sea monster that you set a guard over me? If I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me by visions, so that my soul would choose suffocation, death, rather than my pains. 
I waste away. I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are but a breath. What is man that you magnify him, and that you are concerned about him, that you examine him every morning and try him every moment? Will you never turn your gaze away from me, nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target, so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust, and you will seek me, but I will not be. Do you see how Job is talking to God and he's saying, God, why are you causing me to suffer? How long, God, are you going to do these things to me? And he asks God, what is my sin? What have I done that is so bad that you feel, God, that you have to make me suffer this way? Just leave me alone. Let me die. My, my life is, is like brief vapor. It's nothing compared to you, God. So why not just let me die? All of this reasoning is based on that concept that we only suffer because of sin. And if that's true, then Job's trying to justify in his mind why he's suffering the way that he is. Why would God let me suffer this way? Because my sin doesn't warrant it. And that's what Job's friends are saying. 